Well, good morning, everybody. And good morning to all you coming from SoundCloud and all over the world. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. I'm so thankful that God has called us all here this morning. And, and I'm so thankful for another day. You know, God has given us another day, right? It's a, it, it's, every day is, is a new day. And the Bible says that God's mercies are new every day. So we can enjoy His new mercies on this beautiful morning and this beautiful morning of September. So anyway, if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, and I'll ask God to help us understand His Word and prepare our hearts. So join me, please. Lord, thank you so much, God, for bringing us here. Thank you so much, Lord, for uh, giving us your Word. Lord, as, as your Word says, it's a light into my feet and a lamp into my path, Lord. It helps me to walk your path, Lord. It helps me, your Word helps me to know the things that you want from me. It helps me to know how to please you and helps me to know what doesn't please you. And so, Lord, I pray that today, as we hear your word today, Lord God, that you would help us, Lord, know which way we're supposed to go and what things we're supposed to do to please you. Help us to know, Lord, what is your heart, Lord, through this scripture today, Lord. Help us to to see you, and I pray you prepare our hearts, Lord God, and help us to understand what you have to tell us today. Please, Lord God, help us to understand what you have to say to us today. We thank you so much, Lord God. I pray you keep all the distractions away, keep the devil out, Lord, and help us to focus on you and think about you and and be focused on your word and what you have to tell us. And we ask these things and pray all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27, we're going to be in verses 45 through 56 today. I'll explain in a little bit. But yes, that's Matthew chapter 27. Verses 45 through 56. And I will talk about that and we'll read it after my thoughts from last week's message, The Extreme Love of Christ. I can't help that when I think about the extreme love that Christ showed for us last week and all the things that we read, I can't help but thinking that I am unworthy and completely undeserving of what he did for me. Why? I've let God doubt. I've let God down many times. I've disappointed him, I know, because of the things his word says. I've disappointed him many times. Over the years I've failed to do the things that God has told me to do every single time. I haven't made a lifestyle out of it, but over the years there have been times that God told me to do things and I've failed him. I've not done them. Uh, years ago, I was in this other church, and, and before service or as worship was coming, uh, they had this tradition that God, the Holy Spirit moved in this church, and, and in this church service, before the service started, as the music was playing, there, it was tr- customary tradition that somebody from the congregation or a pastor, assistant pastor or something, would come up to the pastor, and he would pray for the pastor as we were, you know, pray for the pastor to teach the message, and I was a brand new, not very long a convert into Christ. And God spoke to my heart one day and said, go up there and do that. And I thought, wow, Lord, is that you? And I don't know if that's you. Should I, should I do that? It was, you know, a big church and I, I was kind of scared. And I thought, I, I don't, I don't want to put myself in front of all the people and go up there and pray and, you know, for the pastor while we're doing this worship thing here. And so as I sat there and I mulled around and I thought about it and I didn't act, well, then God sent somebody else because I took too long and because I wasn't going to do it. I don't really don't think I was going to do it. So I disobeyed God. I just this week, 
I had a, a Catholic guy that God wanted me to speak to at work, and God set up a divine appointment for me to talk to him. And initially, I messed it up. I did not take the divine appointment. I, I did something. I put my hand in there like a fool, and I, he got sent away, and then God redeemed it. And later on, the guy ended up coming back, and the Lord opened the door, and so praise God for that. But initially, I knew God wanted me to do that. I kind of felt that, and I went against it. And so, so his love and his sacrifice, I, conf- I feel completely unworthy. Of. I feel completely undeserving of. I, I've not, in many times, not been as outspoken for Jesus as I knew he wanted me to be. Many times I've simply not loved God the way I know that God wanted to be loved. And unfortunately, there's been some times in my life, even since I've been a Christian, that I've sinned in some horrible ways. Again, I, never, I haven't lived the lifestyle of those things, but I've messed up. I've blown it. Committed some horrible sins. Did some terrible things. And so, because I've blown it so many times, I feel so unworthy and so undeserving of what he did for me. But now, but actually, according to the Bible, that's okay that I feel that way. Because the Bible says that nobody's worthy of his love or sacrifice or his salvation. The Bible says that salvation and God's love can't be earned either, can't be bought I can't go to God with some money and say, here, hey, you're here, God. here's $100, God, give me your salvation. It just doesn't work that way. His love and his salvation have to be received and taken simply by repentance and faith. For the Bible says, for it's by grace that we are saved through faith that we can even receive God's love, Ephesians 2.8. So we can never, ever, ever be worthy enough or earn enough money or pay God enough money to attain his salvation or his love, or his gift. We can never do that. And why? It's because we're all sinners, just like me. I explained to you earlier. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's laws. We've all gone against God. We've all done things against him one way or the other over the years. We've all done it. We've all broken his laws. All gone against the things that he said to do. All broken his commandments. And because of that, we're all deserving of death in hell, the Bible says, not salvation. It'd be like this. Think about if somebody comes up to you and punches you 25 times in the face and then they said, oh, okay, well then they go and they go, uh, they see that your tire's low on air and they go out and they fill your tire up with air and they think, all right, I, I just made up for punching them in the face 25 times. Now, it doesn't make an idiot to realize that if somebody punched you in the face 25 times, you're going to, number one, want to punch them back. But number two, that if they go and fill up your tires for, with air, is not going to replace them punching you in the face 25 times. It's not how it works. You can't do a good deed to make up for a horrible thing that you did. That's not how it works. And that's what God's word says. You can't do a, a horrible sin and then go do a good work and then it's all balanced out. No, it doesn't work that way. It's not the way it works. So, Thanks be to God that Christ showed us his extreme love and forgiveness, even though we're not worthy or could never purchase it. And he made repentance and faith the way we can receive it because we would be undone any other way. Now, does that mean that because Christ showed his extreme love and devotion for us that we can live any way we want? I can sin as much as I want. I can live any way that I want. Absolutely not. Bible says... That a Christian or someone that gets saved is a follower of Christ. 
And God has laid out in the New Testament for those who have been saved all the ways in which he expects us to live. Everything from Jesus saying in Matthew 16, 24, all who desire to come after me deny themselves, pick up their crosses and follow after me, to the way we're supposed to regard sin. 2 Timothy 2.19, Paul says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those that are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Depart from sin. So no, just because we get saved, and just because we may attain God's salvation through faith and, and his grace and all that good stuff, does not mean that we can live any way we want. God in a nutshell in his words says, let those who are saved or redeemed live like they are so. Live like they love me. And really, if you think about it, if you are really saved, then living a life in the ways of Christ and God and apart from sinless, uh, sinfulness, I should say, should happen. And they should be something that we're striving for. We shouldn't be striving to live in sinful ways if we've really been saved. Because we have to understand that that's not God's heart. And these lifestyle changes aren't because we want to earn our salvation. They're because we get saved. Or you could look at it like this. Good godly works aren't the, aren't the way to earn salvation. They are a result of your salvation. So go back to earning your salvation and being worthy of it. Last word on it. If you think that you're not worthy of his salvation and his love, you're right. Because just like me, none of us are worthy of his love or his salvation. Because we can never be worthy or work hard enough or do enough good works or you know do enough things because we're sinners. But we can, for our sin, for our separation from God, we can turn to Christ in repentance and surrender our lives to him and totally put our trust in him fully and let him save us. That's really what he wants. He wants to save us. But we have to let down our guard. We have to let down our own hold that we have on our lives, and we have to let him save us. So if you haven't done this yet, then I you know, ask you to please consider the extreme love that Christ showed for you that we read last week and that you've read in the Bible, if you've ever read the Bible, and completely put your trust in him for everything and repent and surrender your life to him today. And if you haven't ever done this, you're really missing out on his great peace, joy, and eternal salvation. If you have done this, then rest in him and follow Christ in the ways he told you to until he returns. All right, praise God. Well, let's get on to our sermon for today, shall we? The title of our new message is The Extreme Love of Christ, Part 2. As we had our Part 1, even though I didn't know it was Part 1 last week, The Extreme Love of Christ, Part 2. We're going to read Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 56. And, and as I'm going to tell you a little later, I know we read over some of those verses last week, but I have some more to say on them. So if you guys want to join me, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 through 56, or you can just listen along whatever you'd like to do. So Matthew 27, verse 45, the Bible says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and save him. 
And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were there looking on from afar. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. So in our last sermon, we talked about the extreme love of Christ that he demonstrated for us in the four exhibits toward the end of his life, unto death. That was the last exhibit that we studied, the extreme love of Christ, his death on the cross. But believe it or not, there, there were, there are really two more hardcore examples of the extreme love of Christ that he shows for us here in verses 45 through 46 that last week we simply just didn't have the time to read over. I know I did, I, we, we went up to 50 last week, we read up to verse 50 last week in our sermon, but again, there was so, there was so much in just verses 45 and in 46, that I had to just go back over. God really put it on my heart. I want you to show them all this good, these treasures in verses 45 through 46. So although we've already studied them, there's more God's laid upon my heart. So we're going to just look over them again, these first two mainly, and then we're going to, you know, we're going to skip through a bunch kind of quickly, but we're mainly going to focus on verses 45 and 46 for our sermon. Hence, the part two in the extreme love of Christ. Today we're going to study these same five verses along with some more events that took place after his death and even some we're going to see after the resurrection and the last section that we're going to study today. So let's get to our study and look at the next huge examples of the extreme love that Christ demonstrated to us in verse 45. Again, I'm going to read it again. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. Matthew doesn't really give us all the time that Christ was on the cross. He only says here from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land, but he doesn't give us the full spectrum of how long Christ was actually on the cross. When we add to Matthew verse uh, 27, verse 45, when we add to it the complement verse of Mark 15, 25, we really get the bigger picture of Christ on the cross. Uh, Mark 15, 25 tells us, now it was the third hour and they crucified Jesus. So what, am I trying to, what am I trying to say here? What is the Bible saying to us here? When we put these two together, we see that Christ was crucified at the third hour and that he died at the ninth hour. Well, when you put it all together, that means that Christ suffered on the cross for about six straight hours total. That, to me, that's an extreme love of Christ that we did not look at last week. And for whatever reason, God didn't put it on my heart last week, but I thought about it initially this week right away, him suffering six hours on a cross. Remember we talked about last week the physical condition that Christ was in while he was on the cross, right? He had been flogged and ripped huge chunks of flesh off his body. 
They had taken him and undressed him and made him naked and put a red robe on him and then stuck a crown of thorns in and smacked him in the head with, with a reed which made his flesh on his skull all rip off. And there's a prophecy of Christ that says that he was beaten so badly that we couldn't even tell if he was a man or a woman. Okay, So not only did he go through all this physical pain and suffering, his physical condition on the cross was terrible. It was horrible. It was wretched. As I said in my prayer today, when I was praying over our communion, we, don't, we today don't treat refuse the way they treated Christ here at the end of his life. And so now just to think in that physical condition that he was in, that not only was he there for just a little while, but he was there, he hung there in a terrible physical condition for about six straight hours. So not only did he suffer greatly mentally, and greatly physically before the cross, but then he took that great mental and physical suffering to the cross, and he hung there for six hours on the cross in that great mental and physical terrible state that he was in. To me, that shows me another huge example of the extreme love that Christ has for us all. The fact, and when you add to it, the fact that he could have come down, like we talked about last week, he could have become transfigured like he did on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he could have escaped it all and destroyed them all at any time. But he didn't because he had you and me on his mind. That's the extreme love of Christ that I've never seen ever before from anybody. Is that where his extreme love ends? Is that where is his extreme love for us ends? No, because we have his extreme love part two here. So it's not. Look at what he says in verse 46. And this is where it really, really, really gets good. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lamak, alama, sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Last week, I alluded just slightly to the fact that Jesus was pointing them to Psalm 22. And this is a prophetic psalm written by King David in order to point them to the psalm, to the psalm, so that they could check it out and because it spoke about him. But really, in essence, this is, this is the second main thing that God put on my heart, why we had to go back over these few verses, because I really wanted you to see this psalm in depth today. Because I want you to see for yourself just what Jesus Christ is trying to tell them about himself and just how powerful of a prophetic scripture that it really is. Then I want to show you why him saying this here means and he's showing even more of his extreme love for us by what he says here. So I'm going to read over Psalm 22 completely and I'm going to teach on it some. I'm going to let the Bible do the teaching, though, but I want to read over Psalm 22 completely and just teach on it a little bit. So if you have your Bibles open and you want to go to Psalm 22, it's in the Old Testament, you can read it along with me as I read it, or you can just listen to me along as well. I always offer that because I read it along. But first, a little bit about the psalm, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the psalm, so if it takes you a little bit to get there, it's in the Old Testament, you're going to want to go back in the Bible, kind of like halfway between Genesis and Malachi. So you can get there if you'd like, but a little bit about the psalm first. This is, the Bible says, a prophetic psalm. It's also a messianic psalm. 
This psalm, King David, which was the second king of Israel, when God first set up a king in Israel, the first king was Saul. Second king was David. Well, King David was the author of this psalm. King David wrote this psalm anywhere between 900 and 1000 BC. That means that it was written 900 to 1000 years before Christ was ever born. Now, not only was it written 900 or 1,000 years before Christ was born, it was also written, and you're going to see as I'm going to read it here in a little bit, it was also written, and it describes the event of crucifixion. And it's important to note that the actual event, the actual crucifying of people, wasn't even anything that happened until the early ADs when Rome started doing it. But yet King David saw the crucifixion of the Messiah 900 to 1,000 years before Christ was ever born. So I want you to keep all that in mind. And I'm going to read Psalm 22 and just see and just see exactly what Jesus was telling us while he was on the cross. Psalm 22, verse 1. We read, My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Absolutely, because that's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 27, verses 46. That, that very first verse would have been what they, any scholar, any, anybody that knew the Bible, they would have known. They didn't have numbers on their Psalms back then. They didn't have numbers in their scriptures back then. But they would have known that this psalm, with those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It would have given them the place to go in their Bibles to the psalms, to the, to the songs of David back in the Old Testament. So that was Jesus' key. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He goes on to say, why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Now, Christ didn't say any of this. But we've already talked about his physical condition on the cross. You know that he's got to be thinking it, whether he said it or not. The horrible pain and suffering he was in makes, does weird things to your mind. Okay, So I know that he must have been thinking it. Where are you, God? Where are you? This terrible stuff is happening to me. Where are you? He goes on, verse 2. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in, and you delivered them. They cried to you and, and were delivered. They trusted in you and you were not ashamed. But I, now this is how he's feeling now. Think about this and I want you to hear this and I want you to, and I'm going to go back and I want you to see exactly what David saw and how it applies to what Christ went through. But I, he says, am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Well, I want you to, if you are, because keep your, keep your finger on Matthew 27 also, go back to Matthew Chapter 29, or chapter 27, verse 39 through 43, which is exactly what we read over last week. And what do we read here? This is what happened to him on the cross. And it says, Matthew 27, verse 39, and those who passed by blasphemed him, 
wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. That's exactly what happened in Jesus' current time right before we're reading what we're reading now in Matthew chapter 27 and Psalm 22, 900 to 1,000 years before this happened to Christ. This is what was said. David saw this. This is what was going to happen. Wow. How in the world there is a God and there is a God that knows the end from the beginning, guys. And this shows me here that God saw this and he knew this was going to happen. He gave David a vision and he prophesied of the suffering Messiah on the cross. Wow. Go to verse 9, Psalm 22. But you are he who took me out of the womb. Remember, God put him in Mary's womb anyway. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there are none to help. Remember, Jesus was being crucified, and there was nobody that could help him. Nobody. He was all alone from help. He was a void of help. Look what he says next, verse 12, if you're looking along. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax and is melted within me. Look at, back, back at this, Matthew 27, verses 27 through 31. Now, notice he said, Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging, roaring lion. Look at Matthew 27 and 27 through 31. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. Coincidence? Around him. They were gathered around him. And they were strong soldiers. And they were all gathered around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Then they twisted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed a knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. What is he saying? They're torturing me. They're treating me badly. They're evil. They're all around me and the evil's all around me. Look at these guys. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus by the Roman soldiers. Wow. Verse 15. He goes, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to the roof or clings to my jaws. Remember Matthew 27, 48. That's when he got to the cross and they saw him and he started yelling out. What did a guy do? He took some, he took some wine and he took it and put it on a sponge and put it in Jesus' mouth. Why? Because he was thirsty. His tongue was clinging to his mouth right here. David saw it. David saw the Messiah. David saw the tongue and his mouth dry. And that's why this guy came and ran and took a sponge and tried to give him some drinks so he could 
you know, get his, quench his thirst just a little. But David saw it. 900 to 1,000 years before Christ lived. Verse 15, other half. You have brought me to the dust of death. Well, Matthew 27, verse 50 says that after he cried out, he died. Here, you have brought me to the dust of death. For the dogs have surrounded me. For the congregation of the wicked has encircled me. Verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Ladies and gentlemen, he just described crucifixion. 900 to 1,000 years before Christ, before crucifixion ever was ever invented. They pierced my hands through with nails. And they pierced my feet through with nails. And what happened? Well, Matthew chapter 27, verse 35 says that that's exactly what they did to Jesus. They crucified him and they crucified him by taking nails and putting them through his hands and putting them through his feet then he goes on to say i count all my bones and they stare at me they and they divide my garments and, and among them and for my clothing they cast lots look at matthew 27 35 look at the roman soldiers then they crucified him they put those nails in his hands and his feet and they divided his garments casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. Matthew even talks about it. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And then what does he also say? Notice, you can't miss this. Uh, then they look and they uh, they look and stare at me. Look at what the soldiers do after they crucify him. And after they divide his clothing amongst themselves. And they, sitting down, and they kept watch over him. David saw the Roman soldiers crucifying him, dividing his clothes, and then looking up and staring at him. And this was all 900 to 1,000 years before it actually happened. And it actually happened the exact way that David saw that it happened. And it happened to Christ. Matthew chapter 27 is the proof of that. And this is what Christ was pointing to. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was trying to take him back to this psalm. But that's not the end. That's not the end. He goes on to talk about uh, his ministry and the growth of, of, of Christianity throughout all the countries. Look at verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. Now, we already read here that he was brought to the dust of the death by the crucifixion. So he's dead now. So verse 19, though, he's still going. How can that be? Well, we know that Christ didn't stay in the grave after he died. We know that the Bible says that Christ resurrected and he lives still to this day. Verse 19, But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. We know that's what God did. And then he says, you have answered me. <laughs> right? God raised him from the dead. He talks about God, please save me. And he says, you have answered me. God then answered him by delivering his life from the pit, right? And raised him up and resurrected him. Wow. Look at that. David saw it. Verse 22, he goes on. I will declare your name to my brethren. Well, look what he did right when he came back. What did he do? He went to the disciples. Hey, here I am. Look, I'm back. 
Praise God. Hey, grave couldn't keep me. Look at there. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. What did he do? He didn't despise the cross. Wow. He didn't despise all the evil that they did to him. Because this is Jesus here. And we can clearly see it. It, It's not hard to see. This is his life, his death, how he died, the precise way he died, and then his resurrection, and then what he's going to do after. And it's all right here in Psalm 22. 900 to 1,000 years before Christ ever lived. Wow. Wow. And he says here, For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. My praise uh, shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. We know that in the Bible that Jesus said on on the Mount of Olives, he said the poor of spirit shall be filled. The poor of spirit. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. Well, right now, we just, I mean, we just had a sermon, what, a, a month or so ago, the great gospel wildfire, where Brother Jonathan told us about all the restricted nations right now, what's happening in them. There, there's a great gospel wildfire going out through all the restricted nations. Christ is being glorified. Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus are coming to Christ like People have never seen in the face of the planet. Yeah, right here. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. It's the expanse of his ministry. His ministry is going to go through the whole world. Christ will be glorified and magnified through the whole world. And people of every, every nation all over the world will get saved. David saw it. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Every people group on the face of the planet have people that are saved from it and that's what's happening that's what we've seen david sought 900 to a thousand years before christ was born for the kingdom is the lord's and he rules over the nations yes he does all the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship all those who go down to the dust shall bow before him bible says in book of revelation every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to jesus christ is lord to the glory of god david saw it thousand years before Christ was born. Every uh, shall bow before him, even those who cannot keep himself alive, or even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has done this. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what Christ was pointing to on the cross while he was being crucified. Pretty powerful prophecy about the Messiah and what was going to happen to him, amen? And boy, tell me if it wasn't right on the money. And if you are a skeptic out there, maybe you're a skeptic and you think, well, Pastor Ed, you know, I I was just, you know, I will think about this. Who put Jesus on that cross? 
Did Jesus say, oh, here I am, crucify me. Hey, and here's how I want you to do it. I want you to specifically take my, you know, take my clothes and I want you to divide amongst yourselves. And I want you, did he have anything in any part in the way he was crucified or murdered? Absolutely not. Zero. Evil men took him and they did this. Not even to their knowledge did they know that they were fulfilling Psalm 22. To the letter. There's no way he could have planned this out. If you're a skeptic out there and thinking, there's no way Christ could have planned this out. And Psalm 22 and the Tanakh, which is the Jewish Bible, has been that way for thousands of years, even before Christ ever came, and nobody rewrote it. And the Jews still have it to this very day, and it's all there, right there. Okay, So, as far as the Solomon prophecy go, uh, that he was treated by the people around him, how he was treated by the people around him, right on the money. How'd the prophecy in the psalm go? That he was crucified through the hands and through the feet? Right on the money. Wow. That is powerful. That is powerful. Now, do you see why Christ pointed them to Psalm 22? It spoke of him and all the great detail of what was going to happen to him and what was happening actually right at that moment. He said, go to Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everything that you've done to me and you're doing to me right now, it's in there. Just go look. He's trying to point them to the reality of him and what was happening to him. But do you realize how Jesus just showed us his extreme love in doing what he just did? Ultimately, maybe you don't. Think about this. He was in, I've already talked about this, but I want you to look at a new angle. He was in terrible and excruciating pain. He was suffering horribly. Six hours, think about it. Suffering horribly. Not for his own sin, but for our sin. Could have come down any minute, but he didn't because he had you and me on his mind. Suffering horribly. While they were what? Mocking him. Treating him terribly, mentally abusing him, talking to him, you're, you're not the son, of, if you are the son of God, come down here. Totally, verbally abusing him the entire time. And think about this, his extreme love for his persecutors caused him to point them to Psalm 22 and us too, that speaks of exactly what they are doing to him right then. They all saw it, and he did it to show them that he was the real Jewish Savior that David saw and foretold of a thousand years before he was born so that they would look into that psalm and find salvation. He did it all so that they would look there and find salvation. He was thinking of the salvation of his persecutors and us, while he himself was suffering, beyond suffering, hanging on the cross for six hours. Now, I don't know about you. I like to look at this from a personal perspective too, okay? But I don't know about you, but when others have hurt me badly in the past, when others have done really bad things to me in the past and betrayed me and hurt me, I wasn't exactly thinking of helping them or caring about them or caring about their salvation at all. What I was thinking about, while they hurt me, while they betrayed me, 
uh, you know, maybe somebody hurt you deeply, right, in the past. But from my experience, what I was thinking about, it was really easy to hope terrible things would happen to them. It was really easy to hope that they didn't get saved. Because why? Oh, Lord, they hurt me. Get them, Lord. Get them, Lord. Oh, how they hurt me so bad. Oh, it feels so bad. Look what they did to me, Lord. How can you watch them do that? Get them, Lord. And don't give them salvation, Lord. Get them, Lord. We want vengeance when we're hurt. We want vengeance when we're scorned. We want vengeance when somebody just, you know, betrays us. Is that the way God would want us to be? Absolutely not. But because of pain and suffering, we grow weak. And it's hard to think of what God wants you to do when somebody's hurting you real bad and when somebody's betrayed you real bad. Amen? I know it has been for me, and I'm just being transparent. Hey, you guys may be judging me right now, but that's just the way it is. That's how I felt. I had to repent later, but I felt that way. And maybe you did too. But here, Christ Jesus, they weren't just hurting him emotionally, but they were literally mocking him and ridiculing him and all kinds of things. And they were literally hurting and killing his human body to death. So not only was he having to go through the mental pain and suffering that they were putting him through, but they were hurting his body physically. Thinking, think about it, getting metal nails pounded through your hands by a hammer into a wooden cross. I wonder how that feels. Sure, it doesn't feel real good. I'm sure it doesn't feel real good at all. The flesh still hanging off your body. The pain, of, think about that, that, the crown of thorns being pounded into your head. And then while they're doing it all, they're mocking you. And telling you that you're worthless. And here, even after all that, we see Jesus while suffering greatly for us for six hours just on the cross, tell his persecutors how they could find salvation in him. Just tell me how you don't see the extreme love of Christ in that. And I'll tell you, I don't know what Bible you're reading. To me, this exemplifies more extreme love for them and me than I've ever seen or heard of before by anybody. Did they respond to his outreach of love while in terrible pain and suffering for their own sins? Did they respond to it with kindness? No. Verses 47 through 49 tells us that some who stood there when they heard that saying, this the man uh, said, this man's calling for Elijah, mock him. Immediately one of them took a sponge. One person there had mercy on him and filled it with sour wine and put a reed on it and offered him to drink. But the rest said, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. No, they mocked him. They heard his love. They heard what he said. Nah! See if God will rescue him. See if Elijah will come. Yeah. I could see their faces looking up at him in hate. As I said last week, he never hated or showed disdain or, 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 or hatred or hated anyone from the beginning of creation. Yet, look at how they treated him. And how long did they do it? How long did they continue to do what they did? 
They did it unto his death. Verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Wow. Extreme love, extreme love after extreme love. Now because of time, we'll get to the other half next week. Because I feel that I'm supposed to close here, even though I was planning on doing more. i got to do what God says. And I want to be a respecter of our time and His. And so I just want you to think about the extreme love that we just saw in Christ. Not only did He spend six hours on the cross, but we see a tremendous show of His extreme love for us, not only for all humanity as a whole, but even for those murderous people that fully set their heart on killing Him. Wow. They fully set their heart on murdering Him. And yet He extremely showed His love for them in an extreme way by giving Him these clues toward the end of His death. I said it before and I'm going to keep saying it. I'll say it again. I've never, ever, ever heard of the kind of extreme love that Christ showed us at the cross. Think about this. The fact that He would reach out in love hoping to give these evil, murderous people a clue that could lead to their salvation and repentance to those who had planned his execution. Remember, they planned it. They set it up. They devised it. Murder. Uh, 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 First-degree murder. Uh, I talked about that some time ago. To the people that carried out his execution. Wow. To the people that taunted him while he was being executed to help them find salvation while he was suffering a terrible death, while under the duress and the stresses of the cross in the kind of physical condition that he was in shows me an extreme love that I have never ever heard of or known except for by him. I wish that I could tell you that I've loved people in my own family and even myself as much as Christ loved us here, but I can't. I've never, ever, ever even had the opportunity, nor do I know that I could stand that opportunity. But Christ here shows us an extreme love that I've never heard of from anybody ever before. Even those people, you say, well, you know, Pastor Ed, just the other day we had September 11th. You know, those firefighters that went in there to save them, you know, they sacrificed. Yeah, they did, and that was an extreme show of love. But they didn't show extreme love for people that had ripped the flesh off their bones. They didn't show extreme love for people that planned their execution. They didn't show extreme love for people that were taunting them while, you know, they were being executed. No, they were sacrificing their lives, which is a great show of love, but for people that were just their own humankind. And those people had never done anything to them or them. Here, Christ reaches out with an extreme type of love for those people that had purposely planned his death, executed his death, and taunted him while he was dying. So again, we reached the end. And we have to decide how we're going to respond to the extreme love that Christ showed us at the cross. Will we continue to live in the sins of our fleshly bodies and for ourselves? Where we're our own gods. 
where we're in charge of our own lives, where we make our own decisions and we run our own lives, and where we tell God, I don't need you, God, but we continue to live that way. Or will we respond to his love for us and take a step of love towards him back? And I talked about it in the beginning of the sermon. How do we do that? We can't work for it. We can't earn it. Can't do enough good works. All we can do is receive it by falling on our knees and telling God He's right and we're wrong and repenting from our sins and telling Him that we need Him and receiving it by faith. That's all the Bible says that we have to do. Bible says that we got to show God that he's important to us by making him number one in our lives and putting ourselves to the back and putting him on the throne of our lives. He wants you, but do you want him? It's real easy. Real easy. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God. It's real easy. But who do we want to live for more? ourselves, or Christ. But of course, God puts His gift out there showing and proving His love for us by demonstrating His extreme love for us in Christ and all that He did. And now, it's up to each one of us whether to either embrace it or reject it. So how will you go forth from this time forward in your life? Can you sit here and think of Christ did that all for me and now I'm going to go out and I'm going to keep doing the evil that I've been doing? Or will today you repent and will you turn to him and realize, wow, if you can love me that much, and let me tell you something, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, repentance and salvation is open unto you if you turn to him. Because none of us is worth it. None of us can ever earn it. None of us can ever do enough good works to get it. But will you turn to him to receive it? That's the big question. Will you keep living for your evil and living for yourself? Or will you turn to him and respond and think, Wow, if he did that for me, I need him. I need him. How will you respond to the show of extreme love that Christ showed towards you. If you'd like to make that move today, if you'd like to surrender today, going, you know, wow, I didn't know anybody loved me, let alone the creator of the universe. And I want you in your heart or on your knees to fall down right now. And I want you to ask God for forgiveness right now. Lord God, please forgive me. I need you. Please, God. I need you more than anything. I can't believe that you love me, but you do. And Lord, I I need you. If you can love me, even in the mess I'm in, I need you, Lord. You are right. I'm a sinner. Please, God, save me. Nor am I worthy, nor am I worth it. But Lord, you said that I'm worth it. And you think that I'm worth it. And that's why you did what you did. So Lord, please, I cry out to you now. I need you. Jesus, please save me. I need you. I don't want to live the way I've been living. I need you. I want you. Jesus, please save me. And if you say something along those lines and you mean it with all your heart, 
And God knows your heart. And God knows whether you just want to keep playing games or whether you really want him. Then it happened. And now you've got to walk in the newness of the life of him that he gives you. Turn to his word and keep read his word and look to his word and, and start to love him back. For certainly... He's shown all the love. that He's shown more love toward us than anybody ever. And He keeps doing it every day because He keeps giving us a new day. So just love Him. Love Him back. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for Your love. Thank You for the extreme love that You showed us on the cross. Thank You, Lord, for Psalm 22. Lord, thank you, Lord God. There's, there's no way that could be fabricated, Lord. The, the, the dating and all the, the, the scriptures are there, Lord God. There's, there's no way that anybody could have faked that. And there's no way because, Lord, we know that you were crucified, Jesus. And we know that you went through those things because you had disciples. That they all died because they believed in you. They all surrendered themselves to the evil people, and basically the evil people hurt them and destroyed them and killed them too. And how else would they have done that unless they saw that example from you? And Lord, they witnessed firsthand that even after you went through that, you showed back up. Wow, Lord. All the proofs that you give us that your word is real. I pray, dear God, for any out there, Lord God, that are listening to this, that didn't bow the knee today. I pray, dear God, that they would bow the knee before the end comes. Your word says, Lord, like we read in Psalm 22, everybody's going to bow. Everybody. Whether it's now or whether it's in eternity. Everybody will bow. Will we be bowing to you because we want to? Or will we bow to you because we have to? I pray, dear God, those that are out there listening or that will ever listen to this message, I pray that they would bow because they want to. Because they respond to what you did for them and decide to love you back. I pray, dear God, that you would save them. And for those of us that want to now, Lord, I pray we would continue to bow the knee now. I pray you continue to help us, Lord God, live for you. And help us to show you new ways every day to love you. We thank you and we praise you, dear God. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God. Everyone, it's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.